Hello, welcome to the Real Answers Ministry. My name is Louis Nava, founder of Real Answers Ministry, a nonprofit organization to help equip and encourage the saints to fulfill the Great Commission by coming alongside and going out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ at events and colleges. You can check us out at realanswersaz.org. through the book of Acts. Last time we started the book of Acts, seeing Luke as the author. Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke, was writing to someone whom he highly respected, Theophilus, giving an accurate account of the life of Christ through the book of Luke. And now in Acts, seeing the birth of the church and Jesus working and reigning through his church. One thing I did want to mention last time is even though Luke wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Luke was just a vessel that God used to give us his word. This is God's word, and God is the author of Scripture. So let's turn to chapter 2 in the book of Acts. And it says in verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So we see the day of Pentecost had fully come. So this is this day that we're seeing now in the book of Acts in chapter 2 is Pentecost coming um, to fulfillment. Of, of, we're going to see what fulfillment is. It's really the birth of the church. And so it says there were all with one accord in one place. So you see them together, all in like-minded, in unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And again, it's as a rushing mighty wind. How can we understand it in earthly terms? And that's why we give descriptions like mighty wind. So it wasn't a mighty wind. It was as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there were appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, same thing as a fire. And why is it described as fire? Because I believe because of um, fire, what does fire do? It spreads quickly. And that's what you're seeing, a divided tongue spreading quickly as, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or you could, or um, other times they say dialects, other dialects, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And it's, I don't really need to explain what all that means. The book of Acts, as we keep on reading, is going to explain what tongues are and what, what it means by um, what they were experiencing. So this is keep on reading. Verse 5, and there 
were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men. So you're looking at religious people, religious men from every nation under heaven. And so you see them come from all over the place. And it's also going to describe where they came from. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own dialect. So again, you, when you hear tongues, what are we our, our languages or dialects? Were they, what was the the miracle or um, what they were experiencing? Is that they were they heard them speak in their own language? Then they were all amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, "Look, are not all these who speak Galilean?" How is it that we hear each in our own language in which they were born? So how many different languages were they listening? They were they were speaking in as Galilean in in the in their uh, in their own language, but what was coming out and what the people were hearing were hearing their languages. What languages were they um, hearing of that which they were born? which are Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those who are dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, yet visitors from Rome, both Jews and Protestants, Proselytes, who were the proselytes, converted Jews, the Cretans, the Cretans, and Arabs. So you had all these different people from all different languages, and they were and they were hearing their language. What were, what were they hearing? It says we we hear them speaking in our own language, the wonderful works of God. So. What was the miracle? The miracle was, and you gotta imagine, all these people from all these different nations, why were they doing in Jerusalem? They, if, if they wanted to hear of God, what did they had to go to? They had to go to, to Israel, to Jerusalem. Was, was, and because that's where God's word, which was written in what? Hebrew and in Greek. And so, to for them to hear the wonderful work, wonderful works of God, they had to go to um, Jerusalem or Israel. That's why we were there, and they had to have people interpret it in their own language. But now, all of a sudden, with the Holy Spirit and them speaking in tongues, they were hearing it in their language without it being interpreted. They were just. And they were amazed. In fact, they were confused, as it says. So, I mean, it was obviously a miracle of God. So, now, the, and the question is always asked, well, are tongues for today? And I would say yes and no. Because what we hear today is, you know, we hear a lot of gibberish. And... Uh, which I don't really truly believe that is tongues. I mean, I, I believe it's abuse. I mean, so many things that we hear today in in modern Christianity is abuse of Scripture. 
the twist in the scripture. And um, again, it's a lot of gibberish. We don't hear other people's languages or, or people hearing in different languages. And I believe that happens because people want to feel spiritual. They want to believe that they're, um, that, you know, that they're born again. They have the assurance of salvation and they can, and so we lean on, you know, like speaking in tongues or, you know, like back then it was, um, they were believers because what? They kept the Sabbath and you still hear that today. But I would say yes, because what did God do? He gave us different gifts, right? And one of the gifts is the gift of tongues. Well, could you imagine today we have God's word? You know, we don't need to go to Jerusalem, to Israel. We have God's word interpreted in how many different languages? You know, in the whole Bible, I think it's over 700 languages. In the New Testament, it's over 1,500 different languages. So God's word is still being interpreted in so many different languages. What are they? What and when it's interpreted from from Greek to Hebrew in so many different languages, what are they hearing? They're hearing in their own dialect or their own language the wonderful works of God still today because of people interpreting the Bible in their language. And again, they don't need to go to the Middle East. So, you know, it's amazing that God, you know, that's, a, that's hard work to learn a, a, a language and, and get it interpreted. It's only of God that it's possible. So, yes, I do believe that, that it's still today, but, you know, it's, it's even in written form. So, in verse 12, it says, So they're all amazed and perplexing to one another. Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. So they didn't really know what was going on, a lot of people, right? But then in verse 14, what do we see? But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raising his voice. So we want to look at the evidence of the Holy Spirit as speaking in tongues, many today. But what is the real evidence of someone filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we see in Peter, what was it? This is the same Peter who had denied the Lord three times. And that was to people of no value, I mean, like a serving girl. He denied the Lord. Now being filled with the Holy Spirit, he's standing up and raising his voice with the eleven. That's the evidence, the boldness to speak God's word and proclaim the wonderful works of God. That is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And so what did he do? He raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my word. What boldness. Pay attention to my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock. They can purchase, be drinking. 
But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So what does what um, Peter do? He takes him to the scripture, takes him to the Old Testament. And he proclaims the word of God. And, and, and he quotes Joel, and he says in verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. So well, the first thing we see is that the prophecy being fulfilled in Joel proclaiming that what's going to happen in the last days? Well, what is the last days? From this time forward, we're seeing the we're seeing um, right now in the book of Acts. Well, they were seeing the scriptures being fulfilled, that the prophecy was being fulfilled right in front of their eyes, right there, speaking. Well, these are the last days. The last days started when, right at this time, what we're reading right now, when the church began. This is the last, beginning of the last days. And when does the last days end? When Christ returns, so we're going to see. And what and what is uh, uh, what is that prophecy? And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my nation, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Joel speaking of the future, which is being fulfilled at this time of um, as Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit being poured out, and they shall prophesy, and I'll show wonders in heaven above. That was being fulfilled right then in their eyes, and, and Peter was explaining to them what was happening. But also, not all of it was fulfilled. At the end of the last days, what else is going to happen? And the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and the vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That portion of Joel has not been fulfilled. And then verse 21, it says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, with this verse to give, that Peter is proclaiming to, you know, about easy believism, that all you got to do is just call on the Lord, ask Christ into your hearts, and you're going to be saved. No, what was he saying back then when when he's preaching? Um, it was who are the children of God? It was thought of of Jews, of the people of Israel. But what is, what is seen happening right then and there? He's saying that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Jews or Gentiles. It's not no. It's not about what is the is the birth of the church being right of both Jews and Gentiles. Whoever, it's not about just Jews. It's about Jews or Gentiles. That's the mystery of the church, and that's what he's saying. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so. Again, it's, and, and we're going to see that 
the church is going to go out throughout the nations, throughout the Gentile world, and the church, the church is going to be spreading. So verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Again, Peter, expounding on what he just read. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. And you yourself also know, they can't deny it, what's attested. The word attested means provide or serve as clear evidence of. You can't, it's undeniable evidence by miracles, wonders, signs which God did through him in your mess. And you know this. You've seen it. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. I mean, was it a surprise? Was it God did not um, see this happening? No. It was a determined purpose of God. God's sovereign. It was God's plan for it. It's God's foreknowledge. He knew what was going to happen. It's going exactly um, the way God had planned it. So we see God's sovereignty. And, but then it says, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. In one verse, you have God's sovereignty and you have man's responsibility. So we see both in one verse. That having taken you have taken by lawless hands have crucified and put to death. What did they put to death? Um, Christ. So when we concentrate on too much on on just on one side, God's sovereignty and not man's responsibility, we, we pervert the scriptures. So we concentrate that it's all man, and and uh, we pervert the scripture. We see both man's, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. It says, whom, verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So, God is sovereign. God is eternal. Jesus Christ is God. Death could not hold him down. God, Jesus Christ is the creator of life. And he is the one that reigns. He's the one that's sovereign over death. And so what does Peter do now? Now he goes to David in the Psalms and gives scripture to explain this. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the way of the Lord. You will make me full of joy in your presence. So what does Peter do now? He expounds on what the scriptures is saying, what David was saying in the Psalms. In verse 29, he says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriot David, 
that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. So what is he saying? That that um, scripture that I just read, he was not speaking of David, because David is well, is dead and buried. And he, David saw corruption. So he could not be speaking of himself. Verse 30 says, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He foresees this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor his flesh see corruption. Jesus Christ, he could not see corruption. He wasn't left in, in uh that his body was he's speaking of the resurrection of Christ. And that's what he's explaining. And where did he ascended to the right hand of the Father and is reigning um, with the Father on his throne. That's what the scripture was saying back, what, a thousand years ago before, um, you know, well, Peter speaking, a thousand years before, before um, the resurrection. And so it's prophesied. And that's what... Peter is saying, this is what was spoken about in front of all the people. In verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. We saw it. We, he showed himself after his resurrection. He revealed himself to us. We are witnesses, and we're testifying to you. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father, the promise of the Spirit, he poured out. This is what you now see in here. This is what this is what was prophesied. This is what was said, and this is what we're experiencing. This is not confusion. This is what's happening. And then in verse thirty-four, he continues by using a different scripture. He says, "For David did not ascend into heaven. That wasn't about him, but he says um, himself." The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Your footstool. And he says in verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know and assuredly that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So when he quotes that scripture, he's saying that, the Lord said to my Lord, he speak that God, I mean, that, um, let me see, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So that's the Father speaking to the Son. Now, speaking of David, and that's what he's trying to get, get across to the people, till I make your enemies a footstool. Therefore, all the household of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. I mean, could you imagine, again, this is the same Peter who denied the Lord. This is bold speaking to the people, telling that you crucified. You know, you would think about today is that people would tell Peter, come on, Peter, that's not loving. That's judging. You can't speak that way. I mean, shouldn't you... Peter should have um, do some humanitarian work and give to the poor and give to the let him see the love that he has. 
And why is he speaking so um, straightforward? I mean, that is that that's not loving. So what are people are saying? That the Holy Spirit, that that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, that the that the Holy Spirit not love. I mean, God is love, and this is the loving thing to do—to speak the truth. And that's what he did. He just coming out speaking the truth of what happened. And and again, God had has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both the Lord and Christ. He is the Lord, ruler of this world, and the Messiah, the promised Messiah to come, and you crucified him. And what was the response of that bold preaching? 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Wow, that was piercing. They saw themselves as, wow, he's speaking the truth. Did you imagine that? The Holy Spirit convincing their hearts, where they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How do we get right with God? Is there any hope for us? Verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent. Turn. Stop going the same direction that you're going. Turn. Turn to him. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the forgiveness of sin. So does that mean baptism? You have to be baptized to be saved? No, as if you're turning, baptism is the evidence that one's repenting. What is, what is baptism? Baptism is identifying yourself with Christ, with his death, burial, and resurrection. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm dead to flesh, but you know, that's no longer, I don't want to go that direction and live that way no more. If I'm going to turn, turn to Christ and and live for Christ. That's a, it's, a, it's an act of repentance. It's a symbolic of repenting. And, and uh, so he has to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And what's the promise? You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to the all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You can imagine, that's 2,000 years ago when this happened. I mean, this is, this is comforting to us today. The promise has not changed. The promise is to us that we repent, that we shall receive the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that God's calling. We need, we need to turn. We need to be sensitive to um, to the calling of God. And you know, it's sad that you know we we don't hear preachers want to water down the the gospel. They want to water down the preaching, so people are not being cut to the heart. They're not being uh, convicted, and and um, and we need to hear the truth. And we need to hear the gospel preach. 
Because what's the fruit? Verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. What did Peter see that generation as a perverse generation? Can we say the same thing today? That our generation is, a, is perverse? Man, it, it is so perverted. And and we we need to proclaim the same message and 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 call people to repentance because look what it says here, verse um, forty one. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. You know, a lot of people want to change that to those who received Jesus Christ in their heart. What did they receive? They received the word that Peter just preached. The word, what was Peter preaching? God's word. He was filled with the Holy Spirit preaching his word, and the people received the word. You're either going to reject God's word, or you're going to receive God's word. And if you receive God's word and you repent, what does it look like? Again, they received his word and were baptized. There, that was the evidence of repentance. That's what repentance. They were baptized. And, the, and that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And God was moving. God was working. But again, it's the birth of the church. People are coming, being added to the church. And they and is it just a one time receiving, one time asking Christ to their heart, in their heart? No. They they it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They had a hunger and thirst for God's work. They had a hunger and thirst for truth. And this is, so they, they continued, they persevered, they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They wanted to be around other believers. That's the fruit. And in the breaking of bread. And in prayers. If you're saved and, you, and in God's spirit, you're going to want to be around other believers. You're going to want to have that communion and, and breaking bread with one another and being in prayer with one another in unity. And again, what is, and by, because they were doing that, because they were um, in the word of God together and breaking bread together in prayer, what happened? What was, the, what, what was happening to the world? It says here in verse 43, then fear came upon every soul. Is that a bad thing? No, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a good thing. Praise the Lord that fear, people were noticing, fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Again, why was um, miracles done to, through the apostles? And it's like we read earlier that just as um, Jesus um, said, attested, um, was provided, the miracles provided or served as evidence, clear evidence of, of um, who he was. Well, 
they're doing wonders and signs to prove the evidence that the scriptures, that God's word is true. And that they are apostles. They were sent by God and was the evidence through the, through the miracles. For 44, it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. Again, you see the unity. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. There was no selfishness. I mean, they, were, they, they lived for one another. So they continued daily in one part, unity, and in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. And the temple is, um, where, you know, they were in public. So they gathered together in public where they could be a testimony, where they could testify of what they seen and heard. They, 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 were, they were out there witnessing. And they also met from house to house. And they ate their food with the gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And that Holy Spirit was moving. And, you know, again, God is love. This is loving. And you can see the fruit of it. And, and, and then because of that, it says, and the Lord added to the church daily to those who are being See, what we're called to do is to be a chaplain, a light. We're there to to proclaim the gospel, to preach the gospel, to disciple. We can't convert anybody. Only God can do the conversion. He's the only one to convert. And it's God who adds is the church daily. We just need to be faithful um, in what God has called us to do. It's not our job to try to convince anybody to the kingdom of God. We just give people the truth, proclaim the gospel, for it is we're uh, not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the foolishness of the message preached that saves some. And, and we just give the message. We just preach the gospel. Give the message. It's God who saves. And we need to just trust God on that. Amen. God bless you guys. Until next time.